Welcome to the Folktale Project, this is Dan Scholes. Today we're beginning a new story from the Blue Fairy Book. This tale comes to us from the Arabian Nights Collection, and it is a wonderful and interesting story. This is part one of Prince Ahmed and the Fairy Parabanu. There was a sultan who had three sons and a niece. The eldest of the princes was called Hussein, the second Ali, the youngest Ahmed, and the princess his niece, Noronihar. The princess Noronihar was the daughter of the younger brother of the sultan who died and left the princess very young. The sultan took upon himself the care of his daughter's education, and brought her up in his palace with the three princes, proposing to marry her when she arrived at a proper age, and to contract an alliance with some neighboring prince by that means. But when he perceived that the three princes his sons loved her passionately, he thought more seriously on that affair. He was very much concerned. The difficulty he foresaw was to make them agree and that the two youngest should consent to yield her up to their elder brother. As he found them positively obstinate, he sent for them all together and said to them, Children, since for your good and quiet I have not been able to persuade you no longer to aspire to the princess your cousin, I think it would not be amiss if everyone traveled separately into different countries, so that you might not meet each other. And as you know, I am very curious and delight in everything that is singular, I promise my niece in marriage to him that shall bring me the most extraordinary rarity. And for the purchase of the rarity, you shall go in search after, and the expense of traveling, I will give you every one a sum of money. As the three princes were always submissive and obedient to the sultan's will, and each flattered himself fortune might prove favorable to him, they all consented to it. The sultan paid them the money he promised them, and that very day they gave orders for the preparations for their travels, and took their leaves of the sultan, that they might be the more ready to go the next morning. Accordingly, they all set out at the same gate in the city, each dressed like a merchant attended by an officer of confidence dressed like a slave, and all well mounted and equipped. They went the first day's journey together, and lay all at an inn, where the road was divided into three different tracts. At night, when they were at supper together, they all agreed to travel for a year, and to meet at that inn, and that the first that came should wait for the rest, that, as they had all three taken their leaves together of the sultan, they might all return together. The next morning, by break of day, after they had embraced and wished each other good success, they mounted their horses, and took each a different road. Prince Hussein, the eldest brother, arrived at Biznagar, the capital of the kingdom of that name, and the residence of its king. He went and lodged at a khan appointed for foreign merchants, and, having learnt that there were four principal divisions where merchants of all sorts sold their commodities and kept shops, and, in the midst of which stood the castle, or rather, the king's palace, he went to one of these divisions the next day. Prince Hussein could not view this division without admiration. It was large and divided into several streets, all vaulted and shaded from the sun, and yet very light, too. 
The shops were all of a size, and all that dealt in the same sort of goods lived in one street, and also the handicraftsmen who kept their shops in the smaller streets. The multitude of shops, stocked with all sorts of merchandises, as the finest linens from several parts of India, some painted in the most lively colors and representing beasts, trees, and flowers, silks and brocades from Persia, China, and other places, porcelain both from Japan and China, and tapestries surprised him so much that he knew not how to believe his own eyes. But when he came to the goldsmiths and jewelers, he was in a kind of ecstasy to behold such prodigious quantities of wrought gold and silver, and was dazzled by the luster of the pearls, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and other jewels exposed to sale. Another thing Prince Usain particularly admired was the great number of rose-sellers who crowded the streets, for the Indians are so great lovers of that flower that not one will stir without a nosegay in his hand or a garland on his head, and the merchants keep them in pots in their shops, that the air is perfectly perfumed. After Prince Hussein had run through that division street by street, his thoughts fully employed on the riches he had seen, he was very much tired, which a merchant, perceiving civilly, invited him to sit down in his shop, and he accepted, but had not been sat down long before he saw a crier pass by with a piece of tapestry on his arm, about six feet square, and cried at thirty purses. The prince called to the crier and asked to see the tapestry, which seemed to him to be valued at an exorbitant price, not only for the size of it, but the meanness of the stuff. When he had examined it well, he told the crier that he could not comprehend how so small a piece of tapestry, and of so indifferent appearance, could be set at so high a price. The crier, who took him for a merchant, replied, If this price seems so extravagant to you, your amusement will be greater when I tell you I have orders to raise it to forty purses, and not to part with it under. Certainly, answered Prince Hussein. It must have something very extraordinary in it, which I know nothing of. You have guessed it, sir, replied the crier, and will own it when you come to know that whoever sits on this piece of tapestry may be transported in an instant wherever he desires to be without being stopped by any obstacle. At this discourse of the crier, the prince of the Indies, considering that the principal motive of his travel was to carry the sultan his father home some singular rarity, thought that he could not meet with any which could bring him more satisfaction. If the tapestry, said he to the crier, has the virtue you assign it, I shall not think forty purses too much, but shall make you a present besides. Sir, replied the crier, I have told you the truth, and... It is an easy matter to convince you of it as soon as you have made the bargain of forty purses on condition I show you the experiment. But as I suppose you have not so much about you, and to receive them I must go with you to your khan where you lodge, with the leave of the master of the shop we will go back into the shop and I will spread the tapestry. And when we have both sat down and you have formed the wish to be transported into your apartment of the khan, if we are not transported thither, it shall be no bargain. Then you shall be at your liberty. As to your present, though, I am paid for my trouble by the seller. I shall receive it as a favor and be very much obliged to you, and thankful. On the credit of the crier, the prince accepted the conditions and concluded the bargain, and, having got the master's leave, they went back into his shop. They both sat down on it, and as soon as the prince formed his wish to be transported into his apartment at the khan, 
he presently found himself there, and the crier there, and, as he wanted not a more sufficient proof of the virtue of the tapestry, he counted the crier out forty purses of gold and gave him twenty pieces for himself. In this manner Prince Hussein became the possessor of the tapestry, and was overjoyed that at his arrival at Biznagar he had found so rare a piece which he never disputed would gain him the hand of Nora Nihar. In short, he looked upon it as an impossible thing for the princes, his younger brothers, to meet with anything to be compared with it. It was in his power, by sitting on his tapestry, to be at the place of meeting that very day. But as he was obliged to stay there for his brothers, as they had agreed, and as he was curious to see the king of Biznagar and his court, and to inform himself of the strength, laws, customs, and religion of the kingdom, he chose to make a longer abode there, and to spend some months in satisfying his curiosity. Prince Hussein might have made a longer abode in the kingdom and court of Biznagar, but he was so eager to be near the princess that, spreading the tapestry, he and the officer he had brought with him sat down, and as soon as he had formed his wish to be transported to the inn at which he and his brothers were to meet, and where he passed for a merchant till they came. And that is the end of part one of the story of Prince Ahmed and the fairy Piranabu. And we see the eldest brother has his rarity, and it's quite a rarity at that. In our next part of the tale, his younger brothers will discover theirs. This is Dan Scholes for the Folktale Projects. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you'd like to get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Folktale Project. If you'd like to help support the project, you can head over to patreon.com slash folktaleproject. Or you could always just share the stories with someone you love. I do appreciate that. As always, thank you so much for listening.